Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hi, everyone. It's not just the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. It's the Blackhawks Happy Crazy Podcast with what's been going on bridging the All-Star break and the bye week. And as Scott King Media's phone is still exploding here at uh, 11.30 or so at night following this, uh, 11.15 at night following this Blackhawks uh, dramatic 4-3 overtime victory over Vancouver. It's good to visit with you guys again. It's been a couple of weeks. I think our last one was in the final game uh, of the quote-unquote first half before the break. Chris Bowden, your pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio, along with Scott. And uh, here we go, into the wee hours. And... Uh, the Blackhawks have survived uh, their polar vortex from earlier in the season to eight-game losing streaks before mid-December, and here they are right back in the hunt. Um, first of all, how was your polar vortex, Scott? Stayed indoors. I got the, I, We were talking before the game. I stuck my arm out to get the mail. I kind of was who it was like, and I think I went in the garage to uh, throw some garbage out. It was... Uh, it changes you. It, 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 I was a different person after I... You know, you, I, I this is the first time I've seen you since then, and you do seem like a different person. I, I can't help it. It's the vortex. <laughs> I did go out that day um, just in uh, like a, uh, a T-shirt. Oh. No, a, t- a, a T-shirt and sweats and sandals or flip-flops. I went down to the down to the bottom of the street just to feel what it would experience, 20 degrees below felt like or 25 below. And by the time I get down to the bottom of the, the bottom uh, towards the street at the end of the driveway, I thought this isn't bad. And as I was making my way back to the door, it hit me. So, yeah, it's <laughs> like you know, people pay for that cryotherapy. That's we're getting that for free going outside. And, and here's the thing, gee, I wonder who pays for that cryotherapy. Some some media members here in town, but bald yeah, uh, yeah, some bald gentlemen. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Before we move on to the Blackhawks and get get outside of this silliness, like. Minneapolis, St. Paul, Fargo, Edmonton. It's not all that uncommon for, for, for those folks to experience that. And it's so rare for Chicago. Chicago, like, got national headlines for what they were going through. But this is kind of, those temperatures are kind of ho hum for, uh, you know, your American cities closer to the Canadian border and then beyond. Because the Blackhawks went to Edmonton, and I think the high was 15 below there during the course of the week. So. Are we crying too much? Or no? no, it was really cold when we went to Buffalo, too. I, I think yeah. we forget that. We think we're the only, we're very self-absorbed. We think we're the only cold place in the world, and there's some other much colder places. Okay, so let's move on to hockey here. The weather portion. <laughs> the weather portion, yes. We have we have the isobars coming in from the north. But uh, the Blackhawks have certainly uh, warmed up. Boy, how do, you, how do you like that little comparison, that little cute comparison I just did? But I think there was a lot of, I, I think there was concern about the Blackhawks, you know, getting those two nice wins before the break against Washington and the New York Islanders and being as hot as they were on the power play. Okay, nine days off. And when they got back at Buffalo, uh, the power play was a little bit sluggish, but that didn't prevent them from winning that game, I think, 7-3. to three. And then they go on, have that tight win in Minnesota against the Wild team that they're sitting here battling it out with. Same thing in Edmonton where they explode for the five goals, and this is another type of nail-biting game. And 
uh, the Blackhawks, it's been kind of a narrative when we've been interviewing some of the players and Jeremy Carlton. They're finding ways to win in in different scenarios, in, in, in different things that they're confronting during the course of the schedule and during the course of the game. And that's been among many impressive things that they've done during the six-game win streak. Yeah, it it's all starts with the power play. Jonathan Taves said this morning that you know they're obviously getting goals there, and those goals are translating the confidence and five on five. And and I asked him after the game how much kind of mental relief does does he and does the team have when they're getting scoring from a handful of guys kind of consistently. Not just not just Kane doing it, it's not just Taves doing it. So uh, really scoring across the board, and it's all because of the power play. I think a lot of it is uh, Carlton really put together some real nice units, especially that top one. I mean, those guys, those guys are just killers. And we're seeing right now on the streak how much of a difference a good power play makes. I mean, it is a game changer. Like I said, it, it translates to five on five. They're winning games from it. And, and you look back a few years ago, they were winning cups with not a good power play so now you know obviously a lot of things need to, to click into, into place here and, and and the west is a mess you don't know but it, having a, a power play is just huge yeah and, and it also when your penalty kill is not good it helps offset that ideally you want the power play to be a difference maker in this case it's kind of offsetting the penalty kill struggles they remain at the very bottom of the league i thought they did a pretty good job through the course of the night against the vancouver canucks whose power play granted has been struggling coming and they were two for 28 the previous 11 games hawks killed the first four including that crucial five on three in the first period uh on thursday night here and four for four but then oh brendan perlini a guy who is his you know fighting for playing time trying to earn more playing time he makes that that crucial mistake with three and a half minutes to go with the high sticking call and the law of averages ends up catching up on just that sick goal by Elias Pettersson off of Calendelia's mask and into the net. And then you're sitting there and you think of the, the the magnitude of it potentially down the line because this is a team you're fighting with for points. You allowed them to get an extra point when you seem to be controlling play most of that third period until giving them that power play opportunity. And granted, the Blackhawks did come up with a second point, but... Um, uh, Vancouver uh, probably happy to, to I wouldn't say happy but at least they were able to come away with a point to still remain ahead of the Blackhawks here and yeah we'll, we'll go down that Western Conference standing as it sits here after Thursday night's action but you mentioned the question that you had for Jonathan Taves and let's hear what he had to say after that game I think that's the first one we hear here during this exchange uh, with the captain after he scored that amazing uh, game winning goal in overtime with about a little more than a minute and a half to go, you know, uh, Jonathan here takes us through that sequence among other things, and you know, uh, again, a lot of this talk now is general how fortunes have changed for this team and how they've managed to get back in it. Let's hear from the captain afterwards. When they come back and tie it, how different is the mentality now than it might have been a few months ago? Well, we're just confident that if, if you know we stick with it, we're going to score goals. So uh, when pucks are going in, uh, you don't have to worry too much about that. I think for us, it's always just a focus right now, making things difficult on other teams and, and not giving up too much and I think uh, you know, as I said a second ago there's time to, times tonight where we could have done a better job uh, at that but you're not always going to play your best hockey and tonight maybe wasn't our best 60 minutes uh, that we played in the last five, six, seven games or whatever. Um, but uh, to find a way to win feels good. Do you even look at... It's encouraging to be able to win without your A game, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it just shows that uh, everyone's raising their game. Everyone's playing better hockey, and we're all committed to, to doing the right thing. And 
and uh, at least being on the same page no matter what the situation is. Do you even look at the standings, or is it kind of tunnel vision and just you know win your game and let the other events? Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's hard not to. It's I think that's the, the fun of it, seeing what's going on around the league every night when our conference is as, as close as it is. But. Uh, you know, we've been talking about that too. Is we're going to focus on our job, and that's pretty much all we can control. So that's what we'll worry about. But uh, there's no doubt you're you're aware of what's going on. How would you describe the game-winning play? Um, I think maybe if everyone else on the ice is as tired as I was, is trying to make uh, one last play without uh, you know making uh, or you know it being too dangerous of a play, uh, risking a turnover, but was able to anticipate their D-man throwing a stick in there and was able to get a shot on net. So it's nice to see those going. How much of a mental relief is it when you have a handful of guys that are scoring during the streak? Uh, well, I mean our power play is helping us until late in the game. Our PK did the job, so obviously that's a that's a room we're, or that's a area of our game where we got room for improvement. So, um, but when we got guys like Cat and Kaner and Sauter and you know go down the list, they're scoring goals. I think Artie's obviously getting some more playing time right now, and he's ha- he's getting some chances. Um, it's nice to see some contribution not only from those guys consistently, but from all over our lineup and and even our D men have been chipping in here too. With Patrick Kane on a 13 game winning streak, is this as good as you've ever seen before? He's on the winning streak or uh, <laughs> scoring streak. Yeah. I mean, what else is new? You know, how many times I got to answer these questions about Kaner scoring? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a win in our books. So if he keeps going, we're going to keep going. Let's put it that way. Those two have been playing together for what uh, a dozen years now, 11, 12 years. Uh, him and Patrick Kane, and the and the jabs, the little jabs, never cease to end here. Um, even though. There was just a little faux pas there on Michelle's question, but it didn't stop Jonathan from stopping and saying, what did you say there? He had a good time with it. It was, it was a playful jab. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, because um, as uh, I wrapped up postgame here, came to check on you, your well-being check on your NHL.com story. I, I appreciate it every yeah. time. Uh, as I was heading out, Jonathan was walking out too, and I asked him the same thing I asked Dylan Strom in our postgame show, is when you get into those long overtime shifts, I, I, I say, is there any conditioning tests or conditioning period you can do to in any way simulate what it's like when you're out there for like a minute, minute and a half of these three-on-three overtime sessions, and both of them, both of their responses were like, no, it's just absolutely exhausting. And and you can you can tell as you're watching it from a distance, and it kind of adds to the excitement too. Like which which trio out there is going to drop first? You know? Yeah, that was a you know I thought it started as a sloppy one. It wasn't, and then it, it got really good. Then 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 each uh, each trio was getting possession, and getting some really good chances. But the guys were all over the place. In the first like minute minute and a half, I think the puck was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, it's still really fun to watch. Huge save in that three-on-three by uh, Colin Delia, who, uh, for the fourth time in his 11 games since being brought up this year, faced 40-plus shots. That's a problem that the Blackhawks still have to find a way, if they can this year, to to cut down, because that's a whole lot of traffic and a whole lot of rubber that he is saying. Had a magnificent sequence uh, in the first period at the close of that 
five-on-three kill. Actually, it was a five-on-four at that point where there was that wild scramble in front of the net. He's on his backside. And uh, the three goals that the Canucks did score, I'm not sure if uh, any goalie could really do much about it. It was another solid effort from Colin Delia. And the thing about him is he's a 24-year-old kid, and he is the ultimate California cool Rancho Cucamonga. Because as you hear in this post-game exchange with some reporters, you know, asking about whether this was the, you know, he felt whether this was the biggest game since he's been up in the NHL. He was asked about that. He was asked about uh, here to start out specifically about Elias Pettersson bearing down on him in overtime after that kid scored the game-tying goal and having a clear breakaway against Colin Delia coming up with the big saves. Let's hear from uh, Mr. Rancho Cucamonga here afterwards. Give a sense of just how big a deal it would have been, just how different it would have been had it swung all the way the other way and they scored first in overtime. Yeah, I think we always have a sense of that, but you're not realizing it in that moment because if so you'd probably be paralyzed you know by that you know realization so you want to keep it as simple as you can and you really just need to make one save and that's the next one so that's all that's all is going through my head such a different overtime compared to some of the previous ones that ended fast it was so fraught with you know peril on both ends yeah it was fun those are fun games to play on you know um back and forth you know and when you make a big save or eventually we score a big goal you know it's it's huge it's it's competitive hockey and i don't think we'd have it any other way what was the level of uh, relief or exultation or whatever it was that you experienced went all the way on the other end you saw tapes uh, i just couldn't contain myself you know jumping up in the air so happy that you know he scored made an amazing play you know and uh, to see that puck go back in the back of the net and you know all the fans cheering it was pretty cool and feels good is it hard not to look at the standings hard not to look at the yeah. standings yeah. well i mean it's just reality you know it is what it is you you have to face reality i mean you don't want to be thinking about that when you're playing the game but beforehand yeah you have to prepare you have to know what's at stake so um it's not hard at all i think we look at the standings and look what we have to do and we you know it's playoff hockey did this feel like the biggest nhl game you played in um no, I just felt like another game. Uh, just my approach, really, just uh, one at a time and just to get in as many games as I can and try to make a difference and come up with a few, few big saves. How did you regain your composure when things started to get a little crazy for you back there? In regards to... I'm scoring. I'm scoring. I mean, just goals happen. It's part of the game. You can't... You, can't look at uh, games circumstantially you know if we're up 3-2 you know we had the lead with three minutes left you can't uh, you can't have that play with the lead mentality you just have to continue and try to win the game Um, so that's really what was going through my head and when they scored it was just hit the reset button and you have another save to make how much confidence does this give you Um, I mean I think you're confident you know by coming to the rink and you know preparing and doing the right things and gaining experience you know such as this so it's it's a nice uh, tip of the cap and you know we'll chalk that one up as a win and move on you know when you lay your head on the pillow it goes away tonight so you have to wake up tomorrow morning uh, ready to work ready to you know realize what's at stake box go to the box five times in this game and fortunately they were only beaten that one it was at the most crucial time unfortunately but uh um, that's that's also a trend. We mentioned the shots on goal. A lot of that, you know, might come on opponents' power play opportunities. But you know, over the, the the Hawks have been able to weather a storm of you know 
maybe I don't have all the entire research in front of me, but maybe going to the box a little bit more frequently than they may want to, especially the penalty kill being as it is. It ended up burning them in Edmonton in that first period. It ended up being the only damage Edmonton did in that entire night, but something they're going to have to uh, try and get under wraps if they want to want to stay in this race in particular. Um, so Delia and Cam Ward, both of those guys lately have really been lights out. And uh, something, it's a narrative that, our analysts, you know, Eddie and Steve Conroy and, and Troy Murray with us have been saying all season long, despite, you know, some of the naysayers, uh, when you strictly look at, at some of the numbers and save percentage, but they've been much better than that and, and Dealey able to come through once again with another solid performance, although Cam Ward is keeps earning himself some regular turns in the net too. You know, Dealey has been good for a while. Maybe since he started getting chances this year, and Cam Ward's improved a lot. It kind of you might know the exact games better than me, but it, it really it seemed like before or right before the break, maybe Delia was maybe going to start to be getting a little more of the starts. Now it's 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 really even, mm-hmm. and, and both goalies are playing really well, keeping the team in the games uh, night in and night out. It, I think it's interesting that. After the game, I think it was John Dietz asked uh, Carlton just about Delia's determination and his work ethic. And I didn't realize that, you know, during this break, while guys are getting on planes and going to Mexico and various destinations, Delia actually went to uh, Massachusetts, out east, and, and uh, worked on his goaltending. Some, uh, some skills camp or clinic really? or something. Yeah, or, or with a coach. Yeah, but he went and he got some working on the ice. That's unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. We we're seeing more features and getting to know him a little bit better with his uh, leather business and things like that. He's California cool. He's a California kid. So um, as we look at this, as it stands right now, and I hope people are listening to the podcast before like Fridays or Saturday nights games because you can probably throw you know wrap this in a ball and throw it in the garbage can when it's all said and done. But as we sit here after Thursday night's game, Minnesota has lost four in a row. Huge injury with Miko Koivu being lost for the season with that torn ACL. They had already lost three in a row prior to that injury. They make it four by losing to Edmonton, which snaps its six-game losing streak. But Minnesota still holds the first wild card at 57 points. Who holds the second wild card now? The St. Louis Blues, who have rallied with an 8-2-1 record in their last 11 games. Um, And they take Tampa Bay... To 0-0, take them into overtime, high-scoring Tampa Bay. And that's just another indicator that this kid, Jordan Bennington, who's taken over uh, much of the goaltending load from from Jake Allen, the struggling, the ever-struggling Jake Allen, he has been the biggest reason as any that St. Louis has turned its fortunes around. There are other factors, too, but Braden Shen scored the only goal in that game four minutes into overtime. In Tampa, too, huh? In Tampa, wow. So St. Louis now holds the second wild card at 55 by virtue of the tiebreaker over the Canucks who get that point here against the Blackhawks. But because the Blues have three games in hand on the Canucks and on the Blackhawks and three or fewer against everyone else, they're now sitting in that second wild card. And then the traffic jam, two points behind the Blues and the Canucks. The Avalanche, who have lost 18 of 21. (laughs) The Edmonton Oilers, who just come off that six-game losing streak by beating Minnesota, and the Blackhawks now with six consecutive victories. They're all sitting at 53 points. Arizona loses at home Thursday to Columbus. They're at 51, along with Anaheim. 
The Ducks are still just four points out of the wild card, even though they've lost 18 of their last 20. And finally, pulling up the rear in the Western Conference, the L.A. Kings, who have 50 points, five points out of that second wild card. And the Kings have won four of their last five. They've gone out east and picked up some victories. The most recent one being Thursday night when they snapped Philadelphia's eight-game winning streak. One thing we were talking about with Patrick Kane in in the pregame after the morning skate is a big reason for this is the whole Western Conference has to a certain extent been a disappointment, not playing, not as a larger group playing as well as people may have expected going into before the season. You have Calgary and San Jose in the Pacific. You have Winnipeg, Nashville in the Central. Everyone else is 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 kind of bunched, and and the Western Conference. You know, give the Blackhawks credit for winning six in a row and and persevering through just a couple of horrible stretches there before Christmas. But part of this reason is the Western Conference has also come back to the Blackhawks a little bit. Well, if you're an NHL team in the West and you dressed for every game and did not forfeit, you have a chance to make the playoffs. It's there are all these losing records and there's still just a few points out of a playoff spot. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling, and that's what you know what. It's February 7th, February 8th. By the time this, this podcast goes out, there's two months left in the season. And, man, what a what a wild run to the finish. Because, And you know the way all these teams have been this season. There's going to be three or five game winning streaks. There's going to be three or five game losing streaks. And I think we're going to see this all the way to the finish line. That leads us into, okay, so where does that leave Stan Bowman at the trade deadline? You know, before this... A lot of people, I think, had the general impression that, um, you know, he was going to be a seller. Now, not so fast, or at least perhaps stay put with what's been going on right now. And along those lines, I had a chance, actually, this conversation dates back a couple of weeks when I had a chance to sit down with the Blackhawks vice president of pro scouting, Ryan Stewart, and um, had the opportunity to sit down with him for a good 10 minutes to talk about how that pro scouting uh, department with the Blackhawks works, and uh, we're going to bring you this conversation that's also going to air, by the way, on Sunday's postgame show on WGN, and uh, here you get a little bit of insight in terms of how the scouting department communicates with Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac, how they you know, get to the point where they target certain players, pursue trades, you know, how much input that they have with Stan, uh, how that whole system works. But uh, as we start this conversation, my first question to Ryan Stewart, again, in his first year as the vice president of pro scouting for the Blackhawks, was uh, just a rundown of what the structure of the Blackhawks pro scouting department is like and kind of what the responsibilities are for however many number of people that they have in that particular department. Here's Blackhawks VP of Pro Scouting, Ryan Stewart. We have a, a pretty large staff. We're fortunate to have an, an owner and a president who supports uh, the scouting uh, endeavors and realize the value to it. So uh, we have five full-timers uh, plus another area of, of scouting internationally. But um, to answer your question on, on coverage, the, the guys are you know designated teams, American League, NHL, and they'll have uh, some crossover B coverage, and as well we have some other uh, people who do more crossover coverage. So there's uh, extensive viewings on all players. Uh, there's never uh, you know kind of a area that's that's uh, you know confusing because we just uh, continue to search for more on players and everything else. So resources are are, are full for us. And, and for those who may not be aware, are, is the objective and the approach to scout 
every player in every league, or do you narrow it down and try to target specific players that you know you may want to learn more about and be interested in? I think the uh, there's a big difference between the amateur side and the pro side. From a, from a pro standpoint, we do need to have a book on every player because there's calls and there's different types of trades where you have to take on a player or not and we need to have some knowledge of the player for a yes or a no answer as far as the amateur side obviously they can narrow things down and target specific players of that age group and that that they like for that draft and on that particular day you know jump at a guy that they truly want ours is a little bit more fluid where you know cap situation comes into play contracts come into play and again What's it going to take to get that particular player from a, from an acquisition standpoint? And does that ramp up here as the trade deadline approaches, where you're targeting more specific players? Certainly, it's uh, more and more you see things happening earlier. Teams like to try to make big moves mm-hmm. weeks or even a month before the deadline because the whole notion of chemistry. The longer you have a guy, even a rental, the longer you have him, the easier the transition is. So you get more value into that. So I mean, there's been a couple big moves. Uh, Stan's always been of the of the mindset of when a, a deal's going to make us better. It doesn't matter what time. So if, if you look at our history of moves, we've made significant ones at any point of the season. We didn't really let the deadline dictate things, which um, you know is just a credit to his perseverance of continually trying to improve the roster. I want to ask you a little bit about that that process you have with Stan. Uh, do you make suggestions um, on potential targets, or, or do you just make that info available and perhaps try and dive in a little bit deeper if he expresses some interest? What's that communication like between Stan and the and the scouting department? I mean, it's it's been excellent. Uh, we're fortunate to have, have someone who's very open-minded and creative and uh, we, we bring forth ideas all the time to Stan and um, a lot of it is the areas of what we need and and the you know the abundance say say we need a centerman and a team has an abundance in that area but they need a d-man so you you have to dissect each team and and break them down weaknesses and strengths and we forward different ideas constantly to stand and he processes everything and when when we know we're on to something he responds right away and we we kind of get to work on it i guess that kind of you know, goes into a couple of the deals that you made this season. What can you share about the process of you know the deal with Arizona with Stroman Perlini coming over here? Kajula as a defenseman goes the other way with Edmonton, and the most recent one with Tampa Bay with Cuckoo. Yeah, the big thing for us, and it's been a very um, subtle but de- deliberate process, is continually trying to evolve into a younger, quicker team. So as you as you see different things that have gone on here. Um, and again, it hasn't been in the headlines, but we've gotten much younger. We've managed to free up a ton of cap space, which let, lets us be flexible this summer and for the you know the forthcoming seasons. And as well, we also know, you know, on the horizon, you have a guy like Alex DeBrincat that's contract's going to be up, and those players need to be taken care of as well. So it's an ongoing process, but um, the the mentality behind things has been to revamp and and you know evolve the the the. the the status of our team that, that's getting older and try to get younger. So I, I suppose as the department gathers here and the trade deadline approaches, is is it just kind of a brainstorming session where you get everybody in one room and, and make sure you're all on the same page? Yeah, we did our normal housekeeping of, you know, like I said, breaking down the, the other teams and, and making sure we're up to date on where everybody's at, which is a long process in and of itself. But it is a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a workshop of ideas and, and where we need to address uh, the needs on our own team, and then again to try to figure out other areas where players are available. So there's a, there's so many moving parts to to the pro side of things because again you can only do moves that are 
the market's going to dictate the moves you make. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to find a trade partner, which is really difficult. So we can say we want this, this, and that, but you know, the a player most likely needs to be underachieving to be available. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a candy store or anything by any means. How common is is cross evaluation of a player among scouts within the department? Uh, you know, uh, is there conflict within there, and and how do you go about settling that if if you're not on this, if some scouts out on the same page about a particular player? We welcome the uh, the debate. We welcome you know heated arguments because again, if we're all just going to sit in line and say, yeah, he's great, and Stan likes the guy, so we all like him, then there's no reason for us to be here. We can just turn on the TV and watch a player. But um, there's oftentimes lots of disagreements, but that that's that's a good thing. We welcome it, and at the end of the day, we'll come to a consensus on the value of that player for our particular area of need, and uh, we we move forward. Just so nobody ever feels picked on that they're they're not they're not picking their their guy more consistently. Right? Oh, there's there's definitely. <laughs> Some, some bruised egos at times, and, and again, that, that's a, the fun part of it because afterwards you go out and you support the, the move and, and you say, hey, man, next time. But um, I don't think we get territorial, and I don't think we're, we've been around long enough where it's not going to be I want my guy, but let's get the best guy for the Hawks, and I think we've done a pretty good job doing that. And, yes, trade deadline's coming up, but I imagine you guys are already doing evaluations. You know what the UFA list looks like uh, You know, come July 1st, and you know, you're already working on that, right? Yeah, we're, it, like I said, it's a it's a year-round process. Uh, July one comes around. It's it's not an area where you sincerely want to build your team, as as we've seen in the past. There's a lot of inflated contracts and you know a term that you don't want to get into because there's the, the demand is the, the demand is there. So um, at this point, we we have a game plan. We know what we have to spend, and we know who's available. And it's just kind of be cautiously wade your way through that and try not to get stuck on a big contract just because it was it's the flavor of the day. What makes a good scout? And you kind of touched a little bit earlier on the difference between amateur and pro scouting where you're projecting amateur-wise more than a pro scout may may do. Uh, what makes a good scout? I think it's, it's you have to be detailed, patient, and, uh, I mean, there's it's not just showing up at the rink. That's the easy part. Get your coffee, show up at the rink. You have to study, be diligent, and then it's all about the reporting afterwards, the analysis and breakdown of a player that's going to be read by management. There, there's no sense being at a game, and you can't translate what you've seen at the game to management because that's, that's the basis of our job. So uh, the good ones can, can you know are fairly handy on the computer, but they have a sharp eye, um, you know, and they're able to to visualize how that player will translate onto our team as we've seen before different players we've pulled out of teams they weren't doing well they've come to us and done very well and the opposite has happened as well we're not perfect so that's that's the biggest thing knowing our roster and how that player could impact our our setup do you use video of of games a lot or is it so much better to be there in person and see a guy you know, along the whole sheet of ice for an entire gamer. We we do video for a for a supplement, a secondary kind of reinforcing some thoughts on the skating or different things. But there, you can't substitute the live viewing. Um, for me, I I think I encourage all the guys to you you lose the storyline of the game when you're when you're watching on video or you're watching the player shifts. So like you can see when a guy gets sat out or a reason why he's double shifting here, and 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 you can the TV doesn't capture the end of a shift or how he gets to the bench and different things. So. Live viewing is the greatest, and that's you can't replace that. And there's been different kind of methods throughout the years trying to add to it and do everything else with the video. But there's a spot for the video, but it's it's lower on the totem pole. As we wrap up here, uh, tell us a little bit about your own journey. I know you were an assistant coach here briefly, and then got into the scouting end of things. Um, 
Did you see this way back when? And I imagine you know your end game would be you know to continue climbing the management ladder, hopefully here. But if not, it's somewhere, right? Yeah, I've been fortunate. I played. I was a minor league hockey player. I played in the minors for about nine years and uh, ended up being a GM in the ECHL. And uh, our affiliation was with the Hawks. And we folded. Al McIsaac uh, let me know there was a video coach job opening up in Chicago. So I took the advantage of the opportunity and, and came up here with uh, Dennis Savard and Trent Yanni and. Um, graduated to be a full-time assistant coach and then after that I, I realized the coaching side of things wasn't my game I love the evaluation so uh, Dale Talon gave me the opportunity to be an amateur scout for a couple years and then my passion seemed to always gravitate towards the, the pro side so I um, made a difficult move as far as uh, the industry and, and got to the pro side and um, things have worked out very good for me so I, I got no complaints and uh, I think everybody always wants to grow and um, that's that's something that requires patience and just continue to learn from from you know the the management staff and uh, hopefully they see promise in me as well. And congratulations on first year as vice president. Is it a little easier on on the family when when you reach vice president status or no? Yeah, uh, they don't they don't care. They're down they're down in the south watching Clemson Tigers win championships. So <laughs> no, they're 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 supportive. They're great. Um, They've they've seen the highs and they've been on the ice for the Stanley Cup, so they're now uh, they've been spoiled with those luxuries. Now that these um, this kind of transition period we're in, they don't have any time for it. So we got to get back to the top. Really cool insight there from the Blackhawks vice president of pro scouting. Uh, Ryan Stewart, it's a bit of a different animal than what the amateur scouts uh, do year-round, but uh, constantly on the lookout knowing every player in the NHL, in the AHL as well. Um, juniors, you got to know all those people too. College, if you're going to make trades, you know what some of the upside and downside are of particular players really have good tabs. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Stewart. I didn't get the chance to enjoy uh, your interview slash visit with NHL Now on NHL Network ahead of this big game against the Vancouver Canucks, but you are multimedia, multimediaing all over the place. Uh, WGN Morning News, I understand, this week uh, woke you up uh, out of bed and, <laughs> and put you on. And then uh, it turns into a real long day when they want you on at 4 in the afternoon for a 7.30 buck drop. But uh, how did the, how'd the visit go? And uh, you tweeted out that you were going to be on. You tweeted out, does anybody have any questions? And, and my question was a question about a previous tweet about a, a pair of socks a cool pair of socks that your wife saw at the Detroit airport, and you didn't say in that earlier tweet whether she had actually purchased them for you, and that was my question. Did she pick those up for you? So I don't know if they were going to use that question or not, but that was my question, and I know I'd eventually get an answer from you either either on the air on that show or here. Well, it was a great question. Um, unfortunately, Thank you. Thank unfortunately you. it did not make it on the air, but she, she did... She did buy them for me, and you know, just um, walking out of the locker room uh, tonight, Thursday, uh, before Colleton's scrum, your producer Thursday night, Joe Brand, informed me that he also has those socks. <laughs> give us, give a. Uh, you can go on on Scott's uh, feed uh, at Scott King Media on Twitter. He posted a picture of that, but uh, try and paint a picture, if you will, of of those socks. Scrolls. Oh my God! So many kids. Um, pictures. Okay. okay. So it's uh, they're mostly white, uh, red on the heel, red on the toes, red on the ankle, and it's it, they say hockey socks at the top with a guy holding a hockey stick, not just a 
and then some dashes and the puck says game. <laughs> it's very. She went to Detroit Airport. I, I love them. They went. People went bonkers on Instagram for these. Really, yeah. and and so she did pick those up for you. She got them. Okay, but your re- initial response to me was full disclosure, or I can answer that right away. My wife buys all my clothes at airports. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I wish that'd be great. You know, I don't think it'd be cheaper though than regular clothes. Yeah, probably everything's more expensive at airports. I think. Right. So. You uh, changing. <laughs> Segwaying to the to the food that we usually touch on, um, you I wasn't able to touch on any food because you apparently grabbed all of it. I've I've learned to eat quickly while you're doing your intermission report, so you can't tease me too much. But before the game, someone whose name we will not say uh, might be my I don't know if you could say rival. Uh, if someone someone was was down in some food, and we're not going to say who, but uh, someone's worthy a worthy adversary to my eating. Really. Uh, do you want to name names, though? No, I don't right. think so. Um, I don't rival. think it either. Right. It wasn't John, though. Was it? No, okay. not too. John Whiteman? No, but you, you caught them. You know you know who I'm talking about. I, I don't. They were I don't. downing some, um, some snacks before the game. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to find out after the podcast and, and maybe... Yeah, uh, we'll invite ahead. them on. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but that was that was one uh, one massive massive plate here. I, were you were you uh, were you making up for for uh, not being here in more than more than two weeks? I've, I've been good with the treadmill. I've, most days during You're rewarding yourself on the treadmill. I was treating myself and uh, so we yeah. Had, we had tomorrow morning. We had mini burgers. There were like there was Philly like cheesesteak sliders burgers. Uh, some gyros, which apparently is every other game, which I'm not going to argue with. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice baked potato. Make your own. You know, um, and of course, the way I eat healthy is two pieces of vegetable, the broccoli. Yes, the broccoli. Yes, two florets of broccoli. Yes. Just you got to get something in there. I also saw some awesome-looking cupcakes there that I uh, that I had to walk by. I wouldn't know. I didn't see. I, oh. I don't. My I get my food and I just keep going. Otherwise, what, the calories really stack up. What discipline on your head? <laughs> Candy one time this whole year, I caved. All right. Well, uh, Blackhawks all of a sudden. Uh, this is nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to be back. Well, no, I was talking about the Blackhawks winning six in a row. It is good to be back. Good to be but back. It's it's good to you know see them uh, strive for something. They're they're close. You know, a lot of the West is like we said, but uh, these games really mean something again. All right, and uh, and now they have really there's opportunity here because they've been playing fairly well on the road, um, particularly since. Yeah, the last real deep sputter. Yeah, there were two bad games in that New York metro area right before the streak started. They had a bad loss in New Jersey and one against the Rangers. But for the most part, they've been a fairly solid road team this year. Now it's a chance to make things right at home because this started a stretch of five of six at home, seven of nine. And a lot of these games in the, you know, immediate future are against teams that are right there in the mix with the Blackhawks. So it's going to be fun to see how how much they can sustain that, if they can continue building on this and how far they can go with it. Um, I'm glad the season's interesting again. Yeah, it is. It is. And it could come down to the wire. They have 27 games left, I think. So we'll see. The streak lives for now. Yeah. And, you know, of course, as we're saying this, there's all those other haters who say, no, we want to get Jack Hughes or, you know. Those, those kind of people do not. Keiko Kako, Keiko, whatever his name is. We have is. well-informed hockey fans listen to our program. That's exactly that's exactly right. And uh, well-informed fans who follow us on the Blackhawks Crazy Facebook page, follow along at facebook.com slash Crazy. You can follow Scott and I on Twitter. 
and see Scott's socks at Scott King Media. I'm at at Bowden Tweets. And, uh, yeah, we have a uh, stretch of games coming up here next week. I, we haven't targeted an exact time, but we have a couple. Of, and I think there's a next Thursday night game against the New Jersey Devils. They go Detroit on Sunday afternoon, Boston on Tuesday. Original six back-to-back, and then uh, I think New Jersey comes here next next Thursday night. Uh, maybe we can uh, talk to the people then. Sounds great. And a quick personal announcement. I will be presenting uh, some stuff at my daughter's preschool for our career day. Tomorrow, I, I have. I'm bringing a hockey net and some hockey sticks and an old uh, recorder, and I'm going to have uh, one kid try to score on the other, and then I'm going to have another kid ask them whatever questions they want when they're done, how it felt, what was it like out there, to teach them, you know, what what we do. I think this is a recipe for disaster. Myself. I'm going to tell. I'm going to. I'm going to make some self esteem issues on. <laughs> What, what what grade is this? Uh, oh, for the kids. Oh, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no hitting with sticks. Some ground rules up front. No hitting each other. No no running. Um, and my wife's opening for me, and she's an architect, so it's gonna be more, a little more. I guess I don't know, educational. <laughs> Listen to this. There's like an opening act. So you're the main act. Your wife is the opening act. Yeah, I'm hoping mine will be more fun. Hers will be more informative. Um, we'll see. But I'm gonna say no running. No hitting each other with sticks. Hopefully. Is this a day long thing in your in your do- your daughter? classroom yeah i think it's i don't i think there's some other parents um we each get 15 minutes so i don't know i think we're going later in the day so probably just a few how large is your daughter's class i think only 15 kids i want to say burn the whole day yeah. with career day just sit no homework i wish i gotta write a game story well, watch, out. <laughs> no you'll you'll make them do some kind of homework and really disappoint them all right good stuff um we'll uh uh, boy, what what Sunday's uh, food spread going to be? That's an interesting, uh, interesting yeah, it's not day. Brunch. It's a little later. It's yeah. um, early afternoon. I don't know. Maybe maybe some big burgers for once. All the reason to follow Scott on, at Scott King Media too, we'll because you'll you'll know exactly, and we'll be going back and forth with each other on that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll probably talk to you again maybe next Friday after uh, we'll see how the Blackhawks do after three more games under their belt: the Sunday home game against the Wings, and Tuesday in Boston Becker Thursday against the New Jersey Devils. Thanks to Joe Romano once again for uh, pasting, taping, gluing this thing together. Always appreciate his help, Super Joe, as they call on the morning show. Again, thanks for listening. For Scott King, I am Chris Bowden, and we'll talk to you again next week.